so it's kind of weird, like switching gears going. Yeah. Down. Is it was that your last time doing radio? Was at mm-hmm. San Paul or Cal Poly Slow? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So it's been a minute. Yeah. Yeah, I miss it. <laughs> Do you like doing radio more than TV, or is it just a different feeling? It's very different. Um, I obviously I ended up choosing to go the TV route. Um, I like that because I like having a visual aspect to it. Uh, but radio will always have a place in my heart. <laughs> I love radio. Is that how you got your start? Was radio news? So, funnily enough, I actually started out with print. And then added audio and then added video. So it was a, a progression. And print was that Mustang news? Yeah. That was your mm-hmm. start? Yeah. Did you know when you started doing that, this was something you wanted to pursue? Or was it just kind of, oh, I'll fill some time? I honestly had no idea that I would be going the TV route. I I did know that I wanted to be a journalist. But um. Yeah, I, I don't think I had any idea at that point that I would be like on the news. <laughs> any, I mean, it's got to be a weird feeling going, especially from print. And now you are in TV, you're like you're in front of the camera now where yeah. there was no camera initially. You were just sitting there writing stories. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I like it. I've always been like, you know, the type of person that does like that performative aspect and likes being in front of the camera. So um, it wasn't like scary for me or anything, but it's it's definitely different. Um, but again, I kind of had like steps up to it with radio first. You know, the first time I did radio was actually probably more nerve wracking for whatever reason. Than being um, on camera. Yeah. I don't know. I was I just afraid I would like my... Trip up my words, or because with print, everything's like you know, it gets edited and everything's very polished before it, you know, is published. And then with radio, you're just on the air, and same with TV. But, um, at that point, I was kind of used to it from radio, so yeah, at least with print, you can kind of dial in what you're going to say and yeah. rework it and figure out, mm-hmm. okay, this doesn't quite sound how I want it to sound, so I'm going to move this around. Yeah, once. Radio, it's it's out there. Did you guys yeah. <laughs> do heavy editing with that? I mean, would you pre-record and then? No. So all of our newscasts were live, um, even during COVID. Um, so yeah, no no editing. <laughs> it's kind of you're almost thrown to the wolves, right? You're just you're doing it. Yeah, yeah. And that started during COVID. Is that when you got introduced to radio? Yes. So I think I uh, like applied for the job right before COVID and then ended up doing it during COVID. Um, But then, yeah, even, you know, with our remote setup, we were still able to um, like connect remotely somehow. We had a really awesome like um, engineer. So Shout out Thomas. (laughs) Um, He set it up so that we could still do like everything live. Uh, So, yeah, uh, it was it obviously wasn't the same as being in the studio, but I still loved doing it that way. And then, you know, we were able to come back and do it in the studio um, by the time I was like about a year in at that point and for my senior year of college. You got to do it for your senior year. You got to be back in person. Yeah. Oh, Mm -hmm. that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, Zoom University wasn't that great. And I would no. imagine trying to do radio and <laughs> get everybody on the same page through Zoom would just be challenging. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had some, like, again, like, 
they were able to figure out very Some innovative. Yeah. So we had this, it was called like, like Zeta to go or something like that. And we were able to do everything remotely. Thankfully not through Zoom because Zoom, because I was I was pretty sick of Zoom at that point. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. It there's a different feeling being in the studio mm-hmm. and sitting you had a co-host for that when you were doing your reporting or was it just Yes. Yeah, so solo we had news? well we had like so we had an anchor one, anchor two. Then we also had an entertainment reporter um, and a politics reporter and an update reporter. Oh, so wow. we had, you guys had the whole gambit. Yeah, we actually had like two studios going at the same time, uh, but we could all hear each other. So Oh, that's cool. And you would all be in the studio at the same time recording? Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, to go from that and then go to let's just do it through a webcam isn't exactly the same feeling. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny how you can just kind of fall into something like that. And so you start out with print and then mm-hmm. you're like, okay, let's try this radio thing. Yeah. And then now you're in front of the camera. Yeah. Do you have aspirations to anchor? I know you're in the multimedia journalism role right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really like reporting. Um, I did. I think I had like two shows that I was able to anchor at North Coast News. One of them was like co-anchoring. Um, and that was fun. I, I, I liked it. Um, but I would say what I like about being a reporter um, or like you said, multimedia journalist is um, being able to like really tell the stories myself um, and like film it all myself, edit it all myself, write it all myself. So it's like, it's mine, you know? Um, but yeah, right now I don't really see myself going the anchor route. Um, but yeah, you never know. I liked it when I did do it. So is MMJ just the standard for being a reporter now? Is there really any distinction? Yeah. So MMJ is a lot more common now. Um, I know that certain broadcast companies, um, didn't end up switching from like reporter to MMJ. And so the difference there is that, um, those reporters usually have like camera people, uh, who will film for them. Uh, and I know a lot of people really like that. It's funny. I was actually just talking with Danya about this the other day because, um, at her new station, the competitor station has all reporters, whereas she's, her station is all MMJs. And, um, yeah, I, I know a lot of people really like that idea of having um, a camera person, but I think I'm I'm honestly just too much of a control freak for that. Like I want the shots I want and I want it when I'm saying certain things. So I, I like doing it all. Um, well, it's nice that you have that creative control over it and yeah. you're not butting heads with someone else of, oh, put the camera over here. We should reframe this. Yeah. It's up to you. Yeah. Yeah. I call all the shots. That's how Danya started, right? Wasn't she an MMJ and then they bumped her up to the anchor position? So I think she started out as an anchor, but Austin, um, who like recently he moved to, yeah, yeah, um, he started out as an MMJ and then, um, became like, well, I guess they both were actually their official titles were like anchor slash reporter. So they were kind of doing both, but mostly anchoring, um, and then doing like, one story a week. Uh, so yeah, Donya Donya had her her share of MMJing too. The, is that part of? I know you guys rebranded North Coast News. Is it part of a shakeup? Is that why everybody's kind of 
shuffling around because Danya's in a different position now. Austin's in a different position now. Yes. Um. Yeah. So I'm not sure how much I can say. I was just about thinking that. that as I asked yeah. that question, I was like, oh, maybe this is one of those topics we. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's no secret. Like the names changed. It's changed. Yeah. And um, some people are now gone. Um, that was all part of the change. Uh, and. Yeah, we're kind of more, uh, I guess, integrated with our sister station in Reading. So a lot of the like production um, is done out of there. Uh, and that also means that we were able to expand newscasts because now all of their newscasts are also um, aired here. Um, so, yeah, we're kind of, you know, we went from, I still call it North Coast News. I think a lot of people still do. I don't know if we ever officially got rid of that name, but now we're technically a part of the North States News, which is the Reading Station. Um, so it's just so. more of a consolidation yeah. in terms of the content you guys are putting out or the news you're covering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With, with being an MMJ, I would imagine, is your favorite part just being able to go out into the field? Is that kind of what gets you? Yeah. 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 I really like um, just like learning. You learn so much and like there's so many things happening in the community and just like in the world, honestly, like that you would never necessarily know about. Um, but like you're covering something new every day and you're like meeting new people every single day and hearing about new things. So I really like that. Um, How much control do you have over the story that you cover? Do you get to pitch ideas and then somebody higher up picks from that batch? I mean, honestly, I pretty much pitch them and or I pitch like one idea and they say, sounds good. Sometimes like this has not happened in a while. Maybe it's happened once or twice. Sometimes it's a bad idea and they'll say, uh, maybe like what about this one? Um, but pretty much I always get to choose my own stories. So I guess that's a good sign that you're picking good stories, right? Somebody's I guess like, oh, so, we, yeah. Maybe we need to have somebody <laughs> pitch the stories for you. Yeah. Like, change the direction. Yeah. Do you, is there a limit in your scope as to, I know you guys do a lot of just central news like Reading and like us. Mm -hmm. Can you go a little more broad and tie into national stories if you want, or as long as they're referenced to what's going on here? Yeah. So I would say um, kind of, yeah, the rule of thumb is if there is some kind of news peg or like localization that makes it relevant to the community, um, you can cover it. It's basically, you know, we're serving the community. So it goes back to like, why would the community care about this? And if it is something that they would care about and it has like local. Some way to tie it back. Yeah. In. Then. Um, yeah. But I think just because we do have a small team, um, a lot of times I do end up covering more. Uh, just local news because uh, someone's got to cover it. <laughs> what is your turnaround time with a story? I know we were talking about a little off air. Mm -hmm. So you guys are pitching in the morning. You're producing the actual show at night. Yes. What is your, are you going day to day? Yeah. New stories? Mm -hmm. Each day is a new story. Each day is one new story. Yeah. And you. What happens if you're starting a story and you're like, oh, this is not going to be great. Oh, Can you turn it around? Yeah, that has happened uh, for sure. You know, sometimes uh, sources won't get back to you. Or... That seems to be the big one is trying yeah. to get a source to cooperate and get, get yeah. in touch. Yeah, and I fully understand like it is 
hard, you know, when somebody's reaching out to you the day of and they want to do it that day and you probably have a bunch of things already on your schedule for that day. But unfortunately, that's I can't reach out any earlier unless it's like a pre-planned story. Um, And so sometimes it just doesn't work out where they're like, I'm actually working until, you know, five and your story's at six, whatever. So, um, yeah, then usually I like to have a couple like kind of backup ideas and then I can switch to one of those. Or obviously before that, I'll I'll see about like who else can I interview for this story. Um, But sometimes you really like need that source. So it's just better to push it to another day. Um, And swap in another one just because of time. Yeah, but it definitely does happen. So yeah, that could get a lactic. Especially Mm -hmm. if you're going out to shoot at a location, is that happening right before you're turning it in or is that earlier in the day? Usually earlier in the day. Um, Yeah, I try to get my interviews done first because that's always kind of the trickiest part. And then getting B-roll, I can kind of do whenever. Uh, And then, but I like to have it obviously before I sit down and edit everything um, so that I can edit with it. Um, but yeah, and then the last thing I do is edit it all together and then I, I go back to whatever location like for my live shot. Um, so yeah. The day turnaround kind of stresses me out hearing yeah. about that. I mean, cause doing this, uh, the workload is so much lighter, but e- if I had to turn this around in a day, I'd be pulling my hair out. I'd yeah. get a little stressed. Yeah, it's. It's it was definitely harder to get used to in the beginning um, because I did do like college newscasts, um, but those we had a week to turn a story, um, which obviously we were also like full time students. So um, it was a little different, but I did struggle with that more so in the beginning trying to get those stories done. Uh, But I would say, too, like once you've been here a while you know more people and it's easier to reach out and you kind of know what's happening in the community. So that makes it easier too. Uh, But yeah, sometimes it doesn't work out. The good thing about the day turn um, and this kind of like, I guess, system for work is if, if, and this doesn't happen frequently, but if a story just simply does not work out at all and neither does the backup story, then it doesn't happen. And it's done and you have a new story pitch for the next day. So it's not like you're ever like really behind on work or anything like that. Um, So I like that. Was that the hardest adjustment coming into this medium was the quick turnaround pace? Um, in terms of the medium, probably the other thing is just, um, being like very aware of yourself, especially coming from radio where, you know, you can hear my voice, but I don't have to worry about what faces I'm making or if I'm like, you know, swirling around in my chair. I do that a lot. Like if I'm at the anchor desk, I have to like try not to do that. Uh, But yeah, just like remembering that everything I'm doing is being captured on camera. So that too, but yeah, I would imagine they frown if you're fidgeting there while, yeah. you're, while you're reporting the news. That yeah. probably wouldn't be the best optics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that is one of the nice things about radio. Is again, we were talking about that. You can just you're just talking. So as mm-hmm. long as 
that pans out, you don't have to be presentable. You could show up in sweats. You can oh, yeah. show up however you want. Oh, sit yeah. there. You could be lounging in your chair and you're just talking into the mic. And then you're done. Yeah. Every I I did Friday mornings my senior year. Um, and I would always show up in sweats with an iced Starbucks. So that was my thing. And no one knew. But I I like, you know, I also like, you know, getting to kind of like dress nice and, you know, do my hair and makeup before live shots. Um it just like it goes back to that kind of like performative aspect that I like. It reminds me of like, you know, like doing like school plays, that kind of thing where every night it's like, OK, it's showtime. Um, so I like that. It's, you know, it's nice to work in your sweats, but I also like what I'm doing now. So how important is that performance aspect and kind of building the newscaster image? Honestly, I would say it's the least important part. Um it's always my last priority. I really try to avoid being on air without my hair and makeup done. Actually, my hair is pretty much never done. To be honest, I need to be better about that. <laughs> um, but it does happen because I will always prioritize like the story over how I look. Um, That's probably so, a good thing. Yeah. I mean, if you had to prioritize one, it'd probably be the story, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do they have standards for you guys obviously you have to show up semi-presentable right mm -hmm. um we do have like it's not a super strict dress code um but yeah we have a general dress code um and yeah just i there isn't really like a makeup code or a hair code or anything like that um obviously like like i said i usually just brush my hair before the show Sometimes I try to curl it or do something with it, but a lot of times I don't have time. Uh, so that's never been an issue. Like nobody's ever said to me, Sophie, you got to start curling your hair. Um, and same thing with makeup. Uh, we do have like kind of like corporate wide like makeup tutorials that you can sign up for if you want to. Um, so if you don't know how to do makeup, you have that option, but it's it's not like a requirement or anything. Are those like in person they're teaching you how to do it or is that like it's a like, YouTube-based thing? I think it's, I think, and I could be wrong, I think it's like a live like Zoom webinar type thing where they're like doing their makeup with you. So um, I've, I've never joined any of them, but I think that's what it is. I it probably gets more intense the higher up you go, right? I mean, yeah. if you're an anchor for some national news program, they're probably like, okay, we've got your stylist. They're going to dial yeah. you in. They're going to figure everything out. You just show up. Mm -hmm. They're going to get you ready. Yeah. Is that, I know, I've heard that our market is kind of a transitory market in that sense where people come here, get their sea legs, and then they can kind of branch out a little bit. Does that yeah. track? Yeah, I would definitely say so Um, for like on-air people that seems to be kind of a pattern um i think with like behind the scenes production people you can kind of do that wherever you know so i've noticed those types of people um who are working in like producer or director roles um tend to move around less but definitely especially for like reporters and anchors um I think just like the industry in general um, is like 
on like building your way up to like higher markets. Um, and so usually don't spend time anywhere like that long, I think, um, unless until you've made it to like a market level that you're like, okay, I'm I've made it. Um, I'm good now. So yeah, I, I would say that's true. Yeah. Is it market level in terms of pay or in terms of access to stories that you can produce? I'd imagine it's probably both, right? Yeah. So I think, I don't know exactly the like formula for how they rank TV markets, but definitely has to do with like audience size. So, you know, like LA is a huge market. It's number two uh, because there's a big population and it's like a world-class city. Uh, So there's a lot of viewership there um and just a lot of news going on yeah exactly i mean compared to our market oh definitely how often are things really changing yeah be like breaking news yeah yeah so there's that and then i think you know when you are in in higher markets it usually does come with a pay bump uh but which doesn't hurt but no (laughs) do you what about the investigative journalist route is that pretty common for people that want to stay in the field reporters that's the direction they lean So I usually think of investigative as being more print focused. And I know there are investigative broadcast journalists, um, but I think just, you know, with the 24 news cycle and like, you know, TV news day turn, like what we were talking about, it's a little bit less common um, just because, you know, we're trying to like fill those newscasts each day um, and it's usually like maybe something you're working on on the side or it's for like a specific project or something if you're really trying to investigate um, and have a more long form story. Well, the depth would pose a challenge, right? Trying to get, I mean, if you were trying to uncover something or really figure out what's going on, having such a short turnaround would be incredibly challenging. You couldn't do it in a day, really. But yeah, I think that's probably also something that maybe like at the higher levels they're able to do because they have more staffing and, you know, a reporter doesn't necessarily have to cover a new story every day because there's other people doing that. So, yeah. You said the 24-hour news cycle. Does it feel like that is shrinking in this TikTok age where you could, I mean, just everything is out there all the time and it's constantly being updated? Yeah. I would say definitely it's moving. So there's still like constant news, but it's, like you said, even more constant and it's on different platforms now. So I know everyone always says TV news industry is dying. I I don't really fully believe that. I know obviously there are new platforms now and those are becoming more prominent. But I like to think that TV news is not dying. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's challenging because I feel like every time I scroll Twitter, every time you refresh, it's new news. It's something else is happening regardless of where it is in the world. It's just constantly at your fingertips Mm -hmm. and it's out there. And competing with that as a news channel would be challenging because you're fighting against the Internet. Yeah. Do they, is there a shift where a lot of these news organizations are trying to add some internet element? I know that like 
was it NBC had a streaming platform or CNN had one? I know a couple of them are starting to. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think a couple of them um, do. I definitely think. Yeah, both print radio um, and TV news uh, corporations are trying to become more like change with the times, you know, so. I've noticed like even like ABC News posts a lot of uh, like Instagram reels uh, as well as TikToks with like the most attention grabbing video type stories. Uh, So definitely, yeah, a lot of a lot of groups are trying to change with the times and make sure that they're staying relevant. Um, I mean, North Coast News honestly doesn't do that as much because I would say mostly because the majority of our like viewer demographic is an older audience and they're not necessarily on those new platforms that are more popular among younger audiences. So we don't necessarily have to push that as much. Like our biggest social media uh, channel that we use is Facebook, which is definitely one of the older ones. I think we have a TikTok, but again, our demographic is is a lot of older, um, you know, middle-aged and up. Not a lot of, I, I feel like that's probably true, like generally too. There's not as many like kids or even young adults like watching the news. Uh, and that's just, you know, com- changes with the times. So. I feel so old hearing you talk about Facebook being for like the boomer generation. Cause that, I remember back when that was, the thing it was facebook yeah. and then slowly it just eroded and then it's oh parents are on facebook and then it's grandparents yeah. <laughs> and nobody wants to go on facebook anymore that was like my lane was facebook for the longest time yeah i recently got a tiktok well a couple months ago now but it's not for me i'm not a tiktok guy i actually never have had a TikTok. yeah um i yeah we'll see i know a lot of reporters like like to use TikTok to like grow their platforms. And so that's something that like maybe I'll do in the future, but I honestly just have had no desire to get a TikTok. That's how I was for the longest time. Yeah. And then because of the podcast, it just seemed like that was the next step mm-hmm. or a step that should be taken. But the whole data thing and that all everything yeah. in the side to freaks me out. Yeah. And so I didn't for the longest time. Yeah, that was definitely part of it for me too. But what are you going to do? It's almost like if you want to build the platform, you kind of have to go where the people are in some sense. But then are you, is it worth giving everything up? I mean, it's kind of like that idea of selling your soul. Do you really want to do that to get where you want to go? Yeah. And my other thing with that too is like, well, I'm putting myself on like public television every day. So like how secret is my identity really? Uh, But so I have considered getting on TikTok. I don't know. It's it's like a it's it's like an internal battle for me. I don't know if I should do it or if I shouldn't. So we'll see if I end up doing that at some point. I'm also at this point like it's just like not really something that I'm feel like is like a big priority for me, you know? So We'll see. Yeah, why invest the time? <laughs> yeah. In some way, right? Yeah, maybe like in another market where there, you know, is a lot of, you know, there are a lot of uh, younger people, which I feel like doesn't usually happen with TV anyways. Um, but if, you know, if like my news director is telling me, Sophie, you got to get on TikTok, then like I would do that. But right now, no one's saying I have to. 
So I feel like I the incentive's not really there. Yeah, yeah. I I don't have really any incentive. So is there a push to kind of build your brand in that medium to kind of make a name for yourself? I know. Is it Austin? Oh yeah, big on TikTok, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Austin's, and he also was on YouTube uh, for like years uh, before he even I think like started studying journalism. So there definitely is that aspect of it. And I probably will, you know, in the future, try and become more prevalent on social media. Uh, But yeah, that's that's definitely a big part of it. Are you do you weigh that aspect of having this public front where you are so out and you're just public facing because you're on the news? And then if you add this public persona online, do you struggle with trying to find a balance in that? Like, I want to keep some of my life private and who I am private and then. Yeah. Just go to work and then be able to go home. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, obviously, I'm not like some big celebrity or anything like that. Yeah, it's we're not exci- in the LA market yet. Yeah, no. Um, it's exciting when people do recognize me in public. Like, that's kind of the point where I'm at. It's definitely not like a nuisance or anything like that. But I will say, I, there are parts of that that make me nervous um you know like s- sometimes people see you on tv and they they think that they know you and they don't and i have gotten messages that are like uncomfortable um and so that that's just something that comes with the industry and it's like on a small scale now i know if i go to a bigger market it'll be on an even larger scale so it's something that i do kind of have to just deal with uh, but yeah, definitely like the kind of security aspect of it sometimes makes me nervous. Well, it's the security and just privacy. Yeah. I considered myself a very private person prior to doing this, which is ironic where this is so public now. Yeah. But there's something valuable in that and mm-hmm. just being able to live your life in the shadows in some sense, or not even in the shadows, but just be able to not have this archive of you out on the internet yeah and out on tv because Mm -hmm. that's your medium now yeah i definitely um i agree with that i'm kind of the same way i yeah just more of a private person i would say um so it's yeah it's takes some getting used to for sure the recognition do you i mean it's hard because people see you and they're like, oh, I've got a story I could tell her. And then it probably doesn't amount to much. And they're just trying to talk to you. Yeah, I would say, honestly, the majority of the time that people do stop me, which, again, is not very frequent. Um, But when they do, like, it's usually just people are really nice. And they tell me like, oh, I watch you every night. Um, You know, like, I love your stories. You're doing great. That kind of thing. Um, So usually it's very friendly and nice um i'm trying to think if anyone's ever tried to like pitch a story to me um in public i don't know if that's actually ever happened to me uh but yeah for the most part like it's it's very positive they're good experiences good Mm run-ins well it it is a small community i think most people especially here are pretty okay pretty cool people yeah but if you were in like an la market and you're just 
you've just inundated with all of these people. What percentage of those people are just weird? Yeah. Like off people. Yeah. It's not zero. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there are, you know, there are, and in any place, there's going to be people that are either, um, like you said, off or like even dangerous. So yeah, definitely just have to be careful wherever you go. Uh, Because like that, you know, being recognizable does slightly elevate whatever chances there are of. um, Uncomfortable run-ins. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how much of that just is the connection aspect. I mean, especially for people that are heavy on social media where Mm -hmm. just so much of your content is being consumed and people are just constantly inundated with your face and who you are and how you talk and all of your mannerisms that they just get this sense of, oh, I know you. Yeah. I mean, I listen to a ton of podcasts and I, you almost get that sense of, you know who this person is. But do you really? I mean, even if you listen to thousands of hours of somebody, do you really know them if you've never had a conversation with them? Right. Yeah. And it's like, you don't know what kind of like persona people might be putting on like while they do that podcast, right? Like I know I definitely filter myself on camera, um, you know, and I, I'm probably friendlier in person too when I'm talking to sources than I might be just like around my friends and family um, and more polite. So you're definitely like putting out like the best version of yourself um, so no matter what, it's going to be a little filtered and different from what that person is actually like. Um, and I think that's definitely true with podcasts, too. I listen to podcasts um, a lot, too. And there's definitely people where I do feel like I know them, but I'm like, they're not being their full selves, you know. So um, even if they are like very authentic podcasters, you know, you're just seeing like one aspect of their lives. So. Yeah, the the authenticity struggle is an interesting line to walk because I would imagine there are things you can and can't say just being attached to this news organization. Mm-hmm. And so you have to sense yourself in that way too, but you also have to sense yourself in the way of, I am in this community. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be labeled, you know, kind of a dick. So I'm going to obviously be nice and try to censor myself that way or be more nice yeah. than I normally would be. Yeah, it's definitely, I think, it's kind of just, there's a general understanding, and I'm sure it's the same for you too, um, where you do want to present the best version of yourself to the public um, for both yourself and whatever organization you're working for. So you don't want any bad reputation to come to your company. But I mean, honestly, like you don't want it to come to yourself either. So um, I think, yeah, all of that plays into what type of or like how authentic you're being. But I would say like in my experience with like seeing everyone that I worked with, I've obviously seen them kind of like with their reporter faces on and with their like normal people faces on. And it's pretty similar. It's not like a big difference um but yeah i mean again obviously like people don't see everything and they don't necessarily know you as well as they might think um 
So, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. The problems <laughs> arise when there's a huge discrepancy between those two. When you yeah. have somebody who has this very cut, very formal, very one-sided public-facing persona and then who they are behind the scenes is completely different. And yeah. then when that if that private persona isn't that great and it comes to light, that's when people turn because they're like, oh, you were just selling me a load of dreams. This is not who you are. And Mm -hmm. then it just comes crashing down around you. Yeah, I think that's why it's like always such a big scandal with like news personalities, that kind of thing. Um, If they're like kind of exposed, if like, you know, like a DUI or something like that, then because they have you know, a, people really like their news anchors for the most part, I would say. Um, and there is that kind of like connection where, you know, we learn in journalism to like talk to the viewer and try to like build a connection that obviously isn't really there because you don't necessarily know who your viewers are. Um, but then when something like that happens, I think, yeah, I agree. It can be kind of shocking and frustrating for viewers to be like oh wow that is not the person that i've been watching on my tv for the past however many years so well i think they're drawn to authenticity i think we all are i think that's what we want is someone who's just being honest and being real yeah and then to see just a complete 180 Mm -hmm. it almost messes with your perception of well reality yeah (laughs) yeah yeah that gets dicey but, I mean, it, the the problem is you almost never know until you know. Mm-hmm. Like, until uh, that moment strikes when, you know, you actually see who this person is. Mm-hmm. How else do you know? If they're being, if they're molding this public persona and arguably to get to these higher echelons of positions, mm-hmm. that might take place more often or they might be more adept, those that do go down that path at hiding who they really are if it's not that great. Yeah. And I think I will say, too, like one of the things with smaller markets like this is you probably don't have to worry about that as much because we're not like these big like L.A. like, you know, we don't have those types of connections or like exciting lives necessarily. Um, So I think in smaller markets, probably people are more authentic and more people like actually do know them in the community. Um, So. Do you think about that rapport aspect a lot when you're going into a story? Because obviously in some regard, the news is dynamic. And so if you are putting out this piece and you think you have everything aligned and then maybe some parts of it aren't as solid as you want, or maybe the story is a little off, do you worry about that eroding your credibility with the public? I mean, how important is oh. getting the getting everything out to perfection versus just getting out what you can in your time frame for me credibility um is super important and um i i would say that's true for a lot of journalists accuracy and credibility i would rather not have information that might be kind of iffy um and have it be more of a boring story personally um so i definitely for me i mean and I think, and for all like reporters, you're not directed directly affected by how well your story does. It's not like you get like a commission on like the amount of viewers who see your story. And I think that's good because it doesn't make you 
incentivized to, you know, kind of cut corners or like do things in a way that's like just to get the the best story out and to get the most viewers. Um, I, I just try to do the story as best as I can. Um, and yeah, I think there's just, especially in today's day and age, there's journalists really don't want to be seen as uncredible um, or biased or, you know, any of that kind of thing. So I try hard um, to avoid that. Which is challenging because that's a lot of the branding that gets thrown around nowadays is that that banner of fake news, not necessarily on smaller markets like us, but just in general. And I'm sure that would trickle down in some ways. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that kind of frustrating for you where you're entering into this field and you almost feel like there's unfair baggage placed on it? Yes. Um, a little bit, but I also understand that journalism has always like had some aspect of that. Yeah, obviously in the past like seven years, that's become particularly prominent. But I mean, if you look at like British journalism, like that's a totally different thing where um, with like the paparazzi and there is a big focus on viewers and ratings and that kind of thing. And then even going back to like, I want to say early 1900s, I could be wrong, but when yellow journalism was a thing, there's always there's always been that aspect and people will tend to associate that with especially like TV because of the whole like infotainment concept. Uh, but you just have to try to prove them wrong and just do the best job that you can do. Um, But yeah, I have had people like say things like when I'm covering um, a serious story and I am serious about that story, but um, someone or people will like make comments about like, oh, I guess it's just all about the ratings. And I'm like, I don't care about the ratings. The ratings don't affect me. Um, So there is a bit of a misconception out there. And maybe that is, like I said, like it has roots in the truth, like with, you know, the yellow journalism age and... um, I'm not going to, you know, be mean about British British journalism or anything, but that is a big part of it with like paparazzi, that kind of thing. So. I didn't know that. Are the Brits, are they worse than us? In they're some they're known for being like very um, kind of tabloidy. Uh, so, and it's, I mean, like most British journalists kind of admit that, I feel like, because it's just like part of the industry there. Um, and then, you know, there was a lot of like backlash, like when that led, not led to, but, you know, there's like questions over, was that a part of like Princess Diana's death? Um, because the paparazzi were like so concerned with getting those photos or whatever, um, that they didn't try and help her or that kind of thing. Um, so I, I would say it definitely has that reputation. Um, I don't know a lot of British journalists. I do know one former British journalist. Um, and yeah, he pretty much told me the same thing, that that is something that is just 
weighed very heavily and it's kind of like instilled in you that you do want the best ratings and the best viewers and that kind of thing. Um, Whereas here, I feel like most companies and schools um, that teach journalism try not to emphasize that and try to emphasize like being factual and um and obviously i mean i say like being objective but obviously that's not true with all journalism in the u.s but i would say that a lot of like schools and companies try to make that the priority i would not have guessed that when i think tabloids i would kind of think of us in some ways because that seems like a very American thing is the tabloids following around it does famous seem... people and taking pictures and trying to get these shots. Yeah. I honestly, I agree that probably tracks more with America than it does with uh, Britain. But yeah, I mean, that's that's what I kind of know of, you know, British journalism. Um, and obviously there's tabloids here too, so... But I think a lot of like the differences, a lot of the networks, like the big networks, um, not necessarily like BBC, but like just like the what is it? The the Daily Post or something like that or like just the big um, like newspapers and those kinds of things. A lot of times like will have that emphasis on being the first to break a story and you know, getting getting those ratings. Um, Do you think that stems from the battle with the internet where you almost have to embrace this clickbait, get the story out as fast as you can? Who cares about all of the facts as long as we can get this out first? We got to beat the internet out. Maybe. I think that definitely could have um, like exasperated that. Uh, but, or... um or accelerated it, I guess. Uh, but I I know that it's been going on like long before then too. Like even just like, you know, obviously I was not around and I was not in Britain when this was happening. But like, just like I, I do watch a lot of and like listen to a lot of like kind of historical based things about that. And like, even like in The Crown, um, I don't know if you've seen The Crown. Um, it's about, do you know, I haven't seen show. it. I no, but I've heard that it's good. I think yeah. it's the show I'm thinking. It's about the royals. Yeah, yeah. And so with that, like, it's a constant struggle with the news organizations um, who are trying to get that story first, um, and you know the royals are trying to keep their privacy as much as they can. So it's kind of funny. Tables are kind of turned where the press are the ones that are. Um, you know, not necessarily giving that privacy. Um, but yeah, it's definitely in the, you know, they try to keep it quiet and it's it's just, um, yeah, I think it's it's been a big issue, particularly like with the royal family. Um, but then that also like goes back to, you know, accountability and like the fourth estate where it's like, all right, well, someone needs to keep these people in check. So there's definitely two sides to it. Um, that balance of power is what worries me a little bit today is it feels like these higher news organizations, these conglomerates are almost buddy-buddy with the people in power. And that's yeah. like if you're so closely attached to them, can you 
are you willing to go the distance? Are you willing to put them, hold their feet to the fire to the yeah. extent that it needs to be or doesn't depending on the story? But it's harder to report on your friends yeah. than it is a stranger who you can be a little more impartial to. Yeah. And I think that's also where this idea of like certain agendas, um, you know, that some like news personalities or journalists do have certain agendas that they're trying to push, which is true. They're like, that's undeniable. There are journalists out there who are only looking at one side of the story. Um, and a lot of times, you know, they are like buddy buddy with the politician that like fits with their side of the story. Um, so I, yeah, I, I would say definitely on like the national level, that is, um, something that is unfortunately more prevalent than I wish it was. Um, but yeah, and I think that it also just goes back to like the like expansion of technology and like globalization of news where these days people have so many options to choose where they get their news and some of them, you know, with the internet, some of them aren't even necessarily like accredited, um, but they can choose what they want to hear, you know, so they're not necessarily always hearing the full story because they can choose to listen to whichever news outlet presents the story that they want to hear. Um, and so I think that's kind of like a reinforcing circle where you know, it's working out for those partisan news organizations and it's obviously working out for their viewers because they don't have to listen to the other side if they don't want to. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it's definitely, I don't know what the solution is because, you know, with social media technology, it's just becoming more and more um, options to go to and you can like cherry pick what you, what you want to, believe um and then there's a whole idea of like echo chambers and you know you're not being even exposed necessarily to other viewpoints um i think that's a lot of what it is yeah is especially with your news is you can pick a news organization that just feeds you what you want to hear mm -hmm. and then because it's quote unquote news you can just say well I, this is what the news said yeah but you're only getting this one side that is very limited in scope yeah and it just has this bend to it and mm -hmm. is feeding you that yeah and then people just get lost and then you talk to someone and you're like oh this is where, where are we going with this yeah yeah it's it's really interesting um like i i think for me like i'm from the bay area which is kind of an echo chamber um and i before going to college wasn't even really exposed at all to any other viewpoints and then in college like I had close friends from like Bakersfield which is a very different kind of like political atmosphere than the Bay Area um, and it was it's just interesting like hearing those other viewpoints um, but I think it's it's good like you need to hear those other viewpoints to try and understand like I think that people think we're a lot more polarized than we are. And then they find out that maybe at the core, you have more in common in what you believe than you think you do. But there's all this kind of like, you know, 
I guess, like us versus them mentality and, you know, all the news sources that are partisan um, that they definitely help with the us versus them narrative for sure. Um, And so you kind of almost like villainize that other side until you meet them and you're like, oh, we like we think similar things. Um, They're just labeled differently. But you have to go the extra mile and actually talk to somebody that's out of your echo chamber. And that's where I wonder if if that's the disconnect. Mm-hmm. is Because obviously you want to have friends that you're aligned with somewhat yeah. in your views. And so are we breaking out of those divides? Whereas in the past you might have gotten that from a nightly news. Yeah. Or maybe even not. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But would you have gotten that from some other medium that we're not getting it today where you can curate yeah. Your friends, you can curate your online media, you can curate what you watch on TV, and all of that can be bent to whatever way you want. Yeah, I think definitely, you know, like, because there are so many options now, and maybe there used to be limited options, and it was like, whatever news channel was on that night, like, that was the news you were getting. But now, you know, like we talked about, like, you can choose whatever news you want to hear. And sometimes like online, it's it's not even people with like degrees in journalism or people who have even like put in the work to really like find the facts. Um, And I think that that definitely plays a big part in that. Um, And then in terms of, yeah, like hearing other people's viewpoints, I think it's easy to just immediately like write them off um, once you hear that their viewpoint is different. So I think a lot of people aren't necessarily willing to listen and that's unfortunate. Um, And it just kind of deepens that divide. So when you're majoring in journalism, do they teach you how to bridge that, that desire to kind of influence your work or be biased in your work? Do they, are they showing you guys tools or like a case study of, okay, this is what like yellow journalism. We need to avoid that. Yeah, um, I think definitely there was a a big focus on that in my journalism education. And there's um, a push for, you know, aspiring journalists to be as objective as they possibly can and to, like, learn how to get all sides of the story, get all the facts and, you know, talk to people that, you know, if you were being more like partisan, maybe you wouldn't want to talk to them, you know, talk to them. And then, you know, the journalist is forced to listen. So they kind of don't even have the option to tune that out. And then you're forced to like become more objective. Um, So I think, yeah, definitely. um, Which is good. So (laughs) yeah, I think it's definitely good, right? The interesting part is how did we get where we are? And I it'll be interesting to see what they have to say about that in a couple decades. Like where did all this stem from? Was it just the race of the internet again, where you're just competing for eyes? Cause mm-hmm. I mean, print's struggling. Is there a fear from that? That oh, we can't like TV. We don't want to be like print. So we gotta, we gotta figure out a way to be competitive in this. Yeah, no, I mean, that's something that I've thought about a lot, just like as a journalist, I think, you know, there's, it's just kind of a perfect storm, like of so many um, different uh, aspects. And one of them is, you know, like we talked about, 
just like technology and social media and the fact that people can choose and cherry pick what they want to listen to. Um, And another aspect of that is the rise of like punditry, which goes back to like the infotainment um, kind of phenomenon where people like to listen to pundits instead of actual objective reporters um, and journalists. And so they're listening to somebody who, you know, they agree with and who maybe like reminds them of themselves and and that person is not objective and doesn't even pretend to be because they're not a journalist they're a pundit um and that's just become more popular and like those do get high ratings and so i think that's another kind of side of it where um the entertainment aspect does shift the new or like quote-unquote news that's put out there well it's hard because that line gets blurred where it's that fake news thing blurred with entertainment where mm-hmm. are we just watching a reality show? What is, yeah. What, are, what is playing out in front of us? Mm-hmm. And it's just obviously real journalism takes more time than just commentating or being, especially like a political pundit. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have any real facts. You can just yeah. speak, well, this is my interpretation of what's yeah. happening. And I think this is the direction we're going and these are the problems and these are my facts. And you could just put that out there. Yeah. Which I, I I am pro in some sense because a lot of what I do here is just talk out of my ass for the most part. But yeah, I try to not skew any well, which I way. Think, yeah, I think the kind of trouble lies where people aren't able to distinguish that, you know, that is someone's opinions. And yeah, it can be entertaining to watch people share their opinions and um, am I allowed to swear on this? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> and like, I guess like shit talk, um, whatever or whoever they want to. Um, but then like dist- distinguishing that from actual like reporting of facts. Um, like you said, it's been blurred. And a lot of times now, like networks that present news also present, you know, political pundits who just it's it's confused and they're in like the same setting as like the anchors are and so i i think it's it's hard for the viewers to make that distinction um when it's not even clearly being made necessarily like in production of it well it's hard to invest time to figure out what the truth is in an article mm-hmm. if you're just scrolling through the headlines which I'm guilty of a lot of the time too, and you're just catching these highlights or these clickbait titles and you're like, oh, this is the news, this is the article, and you don't invest the time to actually read the whole thing and then get to the bottom where it says, oh, this is not fully how they painted it out to be. Mm -hmm. It's almost the exact opposite of what's in the headline, but the headline gets you in there. And if you don't read it, you wouldn't know. You would just go off the headline. Yeah, definitely. And I think even like people don't necessarily even want to read from different sources or like read maybe multiple different versions of the same story so they can get like different takes on it. Um, People just want to read sometimes what they want to hear or, you know, people are busy and they just 
don't have the time. They don't have the time to read the same story from a bunch of different like news sources. I completely get that. Um, but you know, sometimes that does mean that you are getting a skewed view. Or there's a paywall. I can't tell you the number of yeah. times I've <laughs> clicked on a like a New York Times article and then there's a paywall. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to obviously pay with the five bucks or whatever it is. So I just keep scrolling. But that headline sticks in the back of my head. Yeah. And I've pulled it out you know, on podcasts or in conversations before only to find out a week later. Oh, that's not true. Yeah. And you're like, oh, crap. I already I was aligned with it. And now that moment's passed. Yeah. And especially sharing something. You know, if you share a tweet, you can go back and kind of delete it. But if you put out a podcast or put out a post that would be on the news or something, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to go back and correct that. And then how many people are going to see that correction of, yeah. oh, this isn't what it was made out to be? Yeah, definitely. Especially when people have already had the time to kind of kind of like form their opinions on that. Um, a lot of times at that point, they're much less inclined to even believe the correction their mind's already made up yeah i've already got, I've got my story i'm good mm-hmm. we can just keep proceeding with this yeah that's got to be the biggest challenge is that the correcting of something that was published i would imagine mm-hmm. is that once you put it out there you got this initial batch of people that saw it but how many of those same people are going to see the correction yeah especially because sometimes when like issuing corrections it's not even necessarily like You know, like a lot of news organizations will promote all of their articles on social media. And most times, like when there's a correction issued, that media source will also post that to social media. But sometimes, um, you know, organizations will just put a correction in the article and then not necessarily push that out anywhere. Um, and it and you know then you see the article and you're like oh i already read that you're not going to click on it again and necessarily even see that there was a correction um so that's another thing yeah that news sources have to be vigilant about is like even though sometimes it can be like kind of embarrassing if you made it um a mistake obviously you have that responsibility and obligation to make sure that people are being informed correctly um, and to let them know, like, sorry, that was not true. Do you think that's what holds a lot of people back is the embarrassment of I was wrong? Um, Maybe, yeah. Because it seems like in day-to-day conversations, that's a big factor, right? You don't want to be the one that's wrong. Yeah. And so you almost have to dig in your heels even more. Because mm-hmm. if I'm wrong, what does that mean? Yeah, and I think because there is such an emphasis on credibility as journalists... That probably plays into it, too, where people are afraid to admit they were wrong because they're afraid that that will affect their credibility. Um, Like, oh, that person doesn't get their facts straight. Um, Whereas if no one knows that you made a mistake, then your credibility is still intact. But then it's like counterintuitive because you're you're being more transparent um, by admitting that mistake. But you're also maybe kind of losing some of your credibility. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's actually more that. powerful to make the correction and mm-hmm. say I was wrong. I think that speaks yeah. to your credibility and your character in some way. Because yeah. you can say, oh, I thought it was this. And it's not. It's this other thing. I was wrong. Yeah. And then people know, oh, okay, this person's willing to admit they're wrong. I can trust them mm-hmm. moving forward. Because if they mess up, which we all do. 
they're going to say, hey, I messed up. Yeah. It's the people that don't do that that mm-hmm. gets a little sketchy. Yeah, definitely. It's it's an interesting time for the news. Do you think that this the format of television news in the state that it is currently, do you think that is a viable option long term that they can just build this this TV news, they can stay on cable or stay on whatever platform and that will be what it is indefinitely? Do you think there's some element where they have to adapt to the change? I do hope that um, TV news can continue as it is. Um, I think already they're starting to adapt by like getting on those social media platforms, that kind of thing. One thing that I think is good about TV news, even though obviously you do see some like partisanship in it. It's there's a limited amount of networks and there's a limited amount of airwaves. So when it comes to TV news, there are standards that need to be upheld. You can't just go and write or say whatever you want. Sometimes people do, but then they get there's, you know, there's repercussions for that. They get in trouble. They get fired. Um, whereas online, anyone can say anything they want without any consequences. Um, and so I appreciate the fact that TV news, you know, is somewhat monitored. You know, like we have to comply with FCC guidelines and we're using government airwaves. So um, there is a certain structure to it. That's one of the things that kind of bums me out about radio is the guidelines, the things you can't say, the, the format a little bit too, but mainly just the restrictions on what is and wasn't, what isn't allowed. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that it's almost necessary in some regard to kind of keep that structure? I, I totally understand the viewpoint behind it, which is that, you know, during certain hours of the day, you shouldn't be swearing because during those hours of the day, there could be children listening, that kind of thing. Um, and, and then there are hours where like those don't necessarily apply like with TV that kind of thing. Um so I definitely understand that aspect of it. I I don't ever like the idea of like censorship, but I feel like honestly in my opinion like what the rule what rules do exist are not even close to censorship. Um they're more so concerned with like obscenity and you know making sure that children aren't like exposed to swear words that kind of thing which like i mean ironic in our day and age yeah and it's like you can have your opinion on like how bad is it if kids know swear words but um it at least like gives like parents like that option to like not have their kids learn bad words or whatever at least not like by the channels that they put on or so i'm interested to see if those guidelines get loosened as we move forward because it seems like so many people now rather than listen to the radio maybe they're just streaming from spotify or listening to 
Sirius XM where I think the rules are a little bit looser in some regards. Mm-hmm. It's almost the adapt or die mentality. Yeah. I mean, is AM's pretty much dead, right? AM's pretty gone. Yeah. <laughs> is that what's going to happen to FM? Or are we just going to phase out these things? I can't tell you. The, well, I do listen to the radio because my truck doesn't have an aux cord. Yeah. So I'm kind of stuck with it. But I have a lot of friends who do and they're never listening to the radio. Yeah. It's always they just hook up their phone or somebody's playing Bluetooth something or we're listening to some YouTube show or something. Yeah. I don't know. Again, I hope I hope radio stays around. Um, I love radio and I like cuz I have um in my current car that I have like I have CarPlay. And I like listening to my own stuff and not having to listen to like ads or anything. But I also listen to the radio just because I like it's a different experience, you know, like you don't know what they're going to play next. You know, sometimes you're exposed to new music and um, it's fun to listen to like the DJs um, and the hosts like in between, you know, whatever songs they're playing. So. I realize like that might not be as common. Like if people do have like CarPlay or Bluetooth or whatever, then they'll only want to listen to that. I would like to believe there's other people out there who like radio and will choose to listen to radio. Um, But I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Well, I think I'm a little biased just because I've only ever known this format. And I mean, this is almost like shooting from the hip you anything goes anything flies there's no oversight there's no person breathing down anybody's neck saying oh you can't say this or you can't do this or there's a time restriction or any of that i mean you could do whatever when it's on the internet Mm -hmm. and there might be repercussions but odds are you're probably gonna be okay it gets a little dicey when you go into copyright but outside of that you're pretty much safe yeah but everybody that i've talked to that's done radio loves it and they they say it's great. I know a lot of people that did radio got out and want to go back because they just miss it. It's not the same doing it online. Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely think especially with like younger generations who are listening to um, like, you know, internet, like podcasts or whatever instead of the radio, they like the fact that I mean, like younger people in general just don't really like rules. So I think they appreciate the fact that on the internet, there kind of are no rules. Um, And I think there is an appeal there. I mean, I kind of do like rules is the thing. So you're kind of a rule follower. Maybe that's where this is coming from. (laughs) Just the inclination to have a little structure. Yeah, definitely. It's helpful having those. It's almost like those guide rails at a bowling alley Mm -hmm. where you're just going to go down the middle. You don't have to worry about falling off the edge because there's structure to it. Right. Whereas if you go balls to the wall, you can fall off a cliff. Yeah. (laughs) That's just one of the downsides of having that much freedom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think you'll ever go back to radio or ever do anything in a radio medium? I've thought about it um, as like a like future thought definitely right now i'm very um invested in the tv industry and i'm excited to like see what's next um with that but 
you know, if there were if there were a way, and I know obviously this gets tricky too with like news contracts, that kind of thing. But if there were a way for me to like do something on the side on the radio, like I would love that. Um, or maybe farther down the line, um, maybe when I'm older and I'm not feeling the whole like visual aspect of TV as much, um, maybe I'll I'll go back to radio then. Um, I don't know. I don't like the idea that like radio's completely done for me. Like I'm I'm not going to do radio ever again, but I am also like very invested in TV right now, so we'll see. Well, you don't have to get too specific with this, but with your guys' contracts, are you locked out of doing something like a YouTube channel or No, I don't think you're locked out of YouTube. I honestly don't know if you would be locked out of radio. Um I don't know the specifics of it. Uh Obviously, you can't like work for like the competitor news station because that kind of defeats the whole purpose of having a competitor news station. Um, but I don't know if that changes with like different media, like if you're like in print and also radio. Like, I'm, oh, I'm like not you sure could how write that news articles on the side, even yeah. if you're on TV. I'm not as as sure, not honestly. Yeah, I don't know the like legality or, well, I mean, on all. Honestly, it depends on the like the company too. So, you know, they set their own like rules, um, and then those are in the contracts that you sign. So, I don't know, but um, they're like obviously, you know, like Austin had lots. Social media is not an issue at all. Um, Austin also like he did some other um, like I know he was also involved with a Filipino news channel and that was fine. Um, so I don't I don't really know the specifics of it, but I know there are like obviously some rules in terms of the content that you produce and where who owns that, where that's allowed to go. Um, but there's it's definitely like complicated and I don't know all of the rules. Um, so. Yeah, it seems like it would be beneficial for them to have you guys build out some social media presence because that would translate to eyes for them as long as they're working for you. But if you were to go and start doing your own news show on YouTube, I could see that being they might be a little more hesitant. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Do they monitor your content? Like, are you allowed... To only post specific things on your Instagram or no. on your Facebook, you can post whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think like obviously, like going back to like the idea of like reputation, like you use your own best judgment for that because you understand that like you're not only representing yourself, you're also representing, you know, your news station or whatever. Um, and I, I don't think there's specific rules against anything like that, but you definitely don't want to post something that could get you in trouble and that could reflect poorly on, like, yourself or your company. So. I remember when I was in college, or actually when I was younger, when I was in high school, the big fear was people posting things to their Instagram and then trying to get a job and yeah or college yeah i don't know if that ever translated to anything i remember that too um when i was applying to colleges and it was like oh if you have any bikini pictures take them scrub the internet instagram yeah um i think 
Yeah, I don't know if that ever was a thing and maybe it's become less of a thing now. I just think that like at this point, social media has become so widespread that I personally don't think colleges are like, you know, knocking off points if you have a bikini picture on your Instagram. Um, I, I don't know the process there, but I would be surprised if that was a thing um, just because it's so widespread. And I mean, like who has the time to look up all the social media platforms of every single college applicant? Like that would surprise me. But again, what do I know? Yeah, it would be a little tedious. I don't know where that came from, but it was huge for a while. Everyone was I was afraid of freaking it. out. Yeah. <laughs> and it just seemingly came out overnight. It was, oh, be careful what you post. You should go back through and look at everything because if the wrong person sees this, you're never going to get a job. You're not going to get into yeah. the school you want. You're screwed. Your life's going to be over. Mm-hmm. Which for kids growing up when these things were just coming out. Yeah. I mean, the stuff I posted when I was a kid, I, well, I never really actually posted, so I kind of lucked out, but you you see kids post things and you're like, that's what you want to post? Oh, you just yeah. want that out into the ether? I think, honestly, you know, when these, like, social media platforms were first coming out and they weren't as widespread, that's probably when these, like, horror stories happen because... It was more noticeable when someone did post something. And if that was bad, it was a bigger deal because there weren't like millions or billions of posts coming out every single day from, you know, millions and billions of people. Um, So I think like I've definitely heard stories of and usually these take place in like the early 2000s where some, like, teenager posted something that, you know, they shouldn't have, and that came back to bite them. Um, But that was also when these platforms were new. So I think that definitely probably has something to do with it, too. Um, It was, like, these things were a bigger deal at that point. I can remember I was in high school, and this girl downloaded Tinder, and this was when Tinder was either new or it was just new to the school and it was looked she was looked down on for that it was oh she downloaded tinder can you believe that this chick downloaded some app where you just you're swiping on people and then cut to today everybody has a tinder yeah yeah times have changed (laughs) it gets weird it gets weird yeah and who knows where we're gonna be in 10 years i know that's what freaks me out same (laughs) Yeah, I worry about the younger generation coming up and what they're going to, with this chat GPT and yeah. mid-journey and all these things, that all the access they're going to have. Yeah, me too. Um, Like, personally, like, because, I mean, I didn't have an iPhone until I was, I think I was, like, 13 or 14 when I had an iPhone. Um, and the fact that I didn't have that growing up, like I'm very grateful for, um, I know there's like differing opinions on this, but like personally, like when I see a little kid who's, you know, doing out somewhere doing something and they're on their, like, they have a big screen, like for me, I'm not jealous at all of that. Like, I feel kind of bad for them. 
I like the fact that I didn't have that option. It's weird when you see the toddler plopped in front of the iPad. Yeah. And they're just intuitively just scrolling through all these things or playing whatever game. The question is, what does that do long term? Is that any different than the generation that was plopped in front of the TV? Or I don't know what would come before that. Maybe they actually just crawled around. But (laughs) what does that do long term? Do we even know what that does? What those kids are going to... I mean, I was looking into this. I don't know if it was a study or somebody was just commentating on it. But it was this post about people almost having self-inflicted ADHD because we're constantly scrolling these apps we're switching between these apps when we're through scrolling one we're just inundated with all of this information constantly and that you know how many of these cases of adhd are actually just self-imposed because we can't we're constantly diminishing our attention span and if we could just put down our phones and look around for you know five minutes maybe a lot of that would kind of die down yeah i i definitely think like having the the kind of convenience that is now available to us does make your worldview a little smaller. Um, And I think, you know, that relates too to what we were talking about earlier, where people have all these different options for like where they get their news, that kind of thing. And so um, they're able to have that convenience and just choose to listen to what they want to listen to. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's kind of changing the way, not necessarily like our brains are wired, that seems a little dramatic, but, um, like just changing our habits and the way that we're able to like, look at the world and process information. So we'll see. Do you think we're just... (laughs) In a sense, becoming our parents' generation, and that's the status quo, is each generation is worried about the generation below them. I watched this video that's of these true, people. That's true, honestly. I watched this. It was an insane video of this guy. Well, it was a couple different people, and they were talking about how this new law was passed where you couldn't drink and drive. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, ah, you know, this is becoming a communist country. What is life going to be like where you can't clock out and then have a beer as you're driving home? And it's insane watching them because it's such a different generation in a different time where yeah you could just do this thing and they're so worried about you know what this means for our country and the generation below them and then cut to us and we're like oh man these kids they're gonna have these ipads and what are they what's that gonna look like yeah no that's a good point and i remember too like um when i was like a kid there was um a lot of concern over like my generation and like previous generate like you know kind of like not like generations but like you know kids that were a little bit older than me too um and the concern about video games and how that and movies even and how that might make kids grow up to be more violent or they would become desensitized to violence i remember that was like a huge talking point And maybe it still is. I don't know. I haven't heard it as much just because I feel like now there's like bigger concerns. Um, But yeah, I I feel like there's, yeah, there is kind of like what you're talking about where there's always been like something that's like terrifying to the older generation. the end of the world. 
Yeah. I mean, I think people are honestly just afraid of change. Um, and that's, that's got to be a part of it. Yeah. If we're just like this natural state that we're currently in mm-hmm. and then any friction against that is alarming. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with the news. It, there are a lot of shifting fronts and yeah. as an internet spectator or commentator, it's just, it's interesting seeing it all play out. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, Sophie, thank you for doing this. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Do you want to plug all of your stuff, where people can find you, your non-existent sure, TikTok? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I am on Instagram, Facebook, and I guess I am on Twitter, but I rarely use it. Um, Instagram, I am Sophie with a P-H-I-E. Um, underscore Lincoln, L-I-N-C-O-L-N. Um, and then you can find me on Facebook, Sophie Lincoln TV. Um, and Twitter, I'll have to double check my account because I haven't looked at it in a while. I think it's Sophie C. Lincoln. Um, but yeah, it'll be a picture of me. So if that's not right, then sorry. <laughs> and people can watch the news on what yes, channel? Yes, people time? can watch the news um, in Humboldt, um, and Del Norte counties uh, on ABC 23 at 6 p.m. and 11 p.m. and Fox 28 at 10 p.m. Um, or if you're in like the other North State um, counties, so like Shasta, I'm forgetting the others, Modoc, Lake, those ones, uh, it'll be ABC 7 at 6 p.m. and 11 p.m. and Fox 20 at 10 p.m. Okay. So a lot, a lot of stuff. You got a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. You're putting it out there. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Really, this was a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much.